welcome to Time Out, a personal interview podcast with the staff and leaders of North Hills Church. Each episode, we'll sit down with one of our staff or leaders to really get to know them, hear their stories, and learn what makes them tick. From work to personality to free time, let's take a time out and explore the who behind North Hills Church. Hey everybody, and welcome back to Time Out with Tyler. Today I have Abe Schwartz with me, and I'm pronouncing that correctly, I assume. Close enough. Schwartz. Say yeah, it again. No, no S-C-H. It's S-W-A-R-T-Z. So Swartz? Yeah. Swartz. Swartz. Okay, That's right. cool. Yeah. Uh, why don't you kind of introduce yourself, sure. tell us a little bit about what you do at North Hills and uh, anything else you just want to kind of mention at the beginning. Absolutely. So my wife and I, my wife's name is Amy and our two girls, we've been attending here um, going on. 19 years. So, uh, my wife was pregnant with my oldest, uh, Claire, when we started attending North Hills. So it's been 19 years ago. It's gone by fast. Love the church. Don't work at the church. I, uh, at some point in probably 2012, 2013 became kind of a, a a pro bono financial person. Uh, here at the the church. And when I mean the person, I meant based on my background, they asked for my help putting the church budget together. So simple enough. Uh, at that point in time, our church was not big enough to support a full-time uh, chief financial officer. So I donated some time and did a couple years worth of budgets. And so from that, I then joined the accounting team and became very involved just on the finance side. When we hired Katie Tuttle, uh, who's not not with the church anymore, but at the time, she was very, very experienced, great person, and easily took over all the donated time and, and made a real career out of it here at um, the church. So they didn't need me for that. But uh, at that point, I then got involved with uh, what is now called one another or benevolence. So that was the big part of, of how I got, I, I would say plugged in on a daily basis with a lot of the people that attend our church um, and needed the, the ones that needed financial help. So did a little bit of financial counseling, help those folks with actual real tangible financial need uh, with the church's uh, fund uh, that we use to help folks. So Worked closely with Alan Bunn in that, still do to this day, actually. Uh, but through that process, also worked uh, through what it was like or what it was, what it meant to be an elder. Um, and over the years, uh, obviously studied theology, became familiar with kind of the, our church's view on certain theological uh, aspects, but really just tried to elder and dis. <clears throat> disciple people uh, through leading a life group um, and staying involved in people's lives. So uh, joined the elder team. Um, it's probably been th- four years ago uh, and have just added value where I could, uh, whether it just means going and, and encouraging someone on the leadership team when I'm available uh, or counseling somebody. I often get uh, as a lay counselor asked to counsel folks, um, not necessarily directly involved with finances, but, uh, through, um, re-engage, which is a marriage mentor counseling, um, 
in just various ways that God can use me when I've when, when I've got the availability uh, here at the church. Yeah. So there's a lot. I mean, that was just like a, a laundry list of like, I mean, I work out with this and I help out with this and this and this and this. Yeah. Let's, I want to narrow down just a little bit. Um, talk to me specifically, because I think your main, I would consider your main, uh, not role, but uh, influence here on the church is within the elder board, right? Uh, that is accurate. Okay. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit more about like specifically what, your role is on the elder board and also like, what do you bring to the elder board that maybe uh, a Ryan Ferguson or an Alan Shear doesn't or a Barry Wingo doesn't? Sure. So I think the best way to answer that question is uh, really what my gifting is. And that's uh, administrative oriented way of thinking process oriented way of thinking through things. Um, you know, you Ryan is a fantastic the shepherd, uh, when it comes to explaining really deep theological points in a very easy to understand way, my kids love to hear him preach. Um, and so God uses him in that. He's got obviously other skill sets that he's able to utilize, but public speaking and explaining God's word to people, uh, in a, in a common language, easy to understand is his gifting. So my gifting would be um, just creating some kind of process, uh, helping uh, elders think about, um, and, and we are not a business. We don't run the church as a business, sure. but, but maybe you need to think about a process behind that vision that you've got and just talking through things. So bouncing ideas off of me is, is a way I've helped other elders. Uh, I sit on the compensation committee, so I do have a little bit of input on trying to take care of our staff and help and hope that, that, that we're within our budget, paying them as much as we, we should. Um, and, um, obviously I'm outside looking in, so I, I've got a, a bit of, I can say something and not fear for being, uh, you know, uh, group thinked. Sure. So I, you know, I try to be fair, but I also try to speak plainly when I see a problem. So you're the guy I need to talk to if I want more money. <laughs> Potentially, <laughs> but you know, hey, all, all in hey, context. Let me let me give you a great idea. My paycheck go up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes, inflation's not yes, treating no. any of us very well no. right now. Yeah. Um, Start with Greg. Yeah, uh, and say Greg, I talked to Abe. <laughs> yeah, and he'll he'll understand. He'll just write the check. It'll be fine. Um, well, cool. So I guess from that administrative side, what what kind of led you to? And it's a kind of a double question, but like what led you to to use that skill on the elder board or what led you to the elder board in general? And what outside, uh, whether that's career or whether that's personality or whether that's just kind of like your path of life, what has given you those skills to be able to offer them to the to the elder board and to the church at large? Um, You know, so the path to that is. I've been in church my whole life sure. and my dad was always somebody and I love my dad. Obviously we all love our dads, but he was always somebody who would, we would go from social circle to social, social circle or church to church and we would stay somewhere. And then he would, we would get into this. And, and this is just me as a young person sure. looking at the environment around me. Uh, the cycle of like, 
they get, they don't do this very well at this church. And I got a problem with this and I don't like the preaching here. I don't like the color of the carpet here. And we would just leave. And I actually, the first church my wife and I went to, there was a lot of problems there. Um, and I was very involved, but I was also fairly critical, uh, a, cri- a critical person, like always looking at an organization saying the glass really half empty there. Like, yeah, there's a lot of talk and no action kind of thing. So I told, I told my wife, I said, we're going to find the right church where we like a lot of things and we want to be part of it as a typical church member would. But I, I want to go intentionally th- trying to find ways to use any gifting that God has given me or will give me to make the place a better place. So I'm not going to just be the peanut gallery guy. I want to be the the guy that says, well, maybe we need to think differently about A or B or, you know, kind of approaching it from a stewardship standpoint. Sure. Um, because I had finally, after 30 years learned, um, and I'm not 30 years old now, <laughs> back then, 30, right. um, y- you don't you don't affect change if all you can do is criticize. You got to come with ideas and solutions and be a steward of the situation that God has put you in, whether it's a church or a job. Stewardship is really important. Yeah. Uh, because no, nothing we have is ours. Ultimately, they're all gifts. So that mentality led me to just take on things that I saw were needs in the church. Sometimes I pointed them out. Sometimes they were say, people would say, hey, you seem to be inclined towards this. Why, could you help with this? Sure. Yeah, I'll help. I'll try and improve it, leave something better than the way I found it. So I think that answers a question of how I kind of found my way to the sure, yeah. elder board. And, and, and when I say find my way, I use that term loosely. They asked me, and I initially prayed a lot about it and probably waited three and a half to four years before I made any particular step towards actually becoming an elder right? in terms of the work that is required around that. So, um, yeah, hopefully that. No, that, de- that definitely answers my question. I guess as a follow-up, you talked about the the critical side of just kind of being able to almost Terminator in, you know, you walk into a room and you're like, okay, that, we need to fix this. We need to fix this. Like being able to almost like 10,000 feet up down to the, the minutia of it from, I guess from what I'm getting from you, does that ever like bleed into cynicism or is it always a, all right, critical, but here's a practical way we can fix it. Yeah. I mean, it, early on it was cynicism. Yeah. Um, still i i see glaring weaknesses that i like to be part of but but again church is not business sure in business you can come in and you can you know stomp your feet clap your hands get someone's attention say that is broken needs to be fixed yeah you can't necessarily do that uh in the same fashion in a church because it's it's people first mm-hmm. god's stewardship and businesses like this too but it's a little the dynamics are different um, but the, uh, all things must be done in love is, is preeminent in a church setting should be in a business setting too, but there's also economics at, at work too. Right. Uh, and, uh, it's just much less of a degree in a church setting. So, uh, I think that's where you're going is can, can that 
personality, be effective in a church setting. It can yeah. be, but it's, it looks different. Sure. And uh, elder boards are, are a consensus decision-making process, which is not efficient. Businesses are could not be run with 12 people in a room hashing through things over the course of two years. Right. But we do that intentionally at North Hills. Doesn't feel efficient. It's sometimes it, it feels like nothing's being done. Right. But the reality is uh, we think it's God's format from the New Testament and we're following that. And it just, it's not efficient, but yeah. that's okay. That You got to embrace the inefficiency because first and foremost, you want to be uh, an organization that's transparent and you want to be able to do things in the right manner. And you can't do that without a lot of input from various aspects and walks of life sure. uh, for other people. So does that ever like kind of, I'm, and I'm more reading on your personality yeah. here. Does that ever kind of like grate on you? The idea that again, you've got to have 12 consensus votes or consensus, consensus, uh, trying to think of another word other than vote. I'm just going to stick with that one. Like, does that ever kind of like you're, you're, you're itching to say, no, we need to make a decision on this now. Like we need to get like, this needs to be fixed. Let's, let's move on it. Um, I, I would say it, it does, but probably to a lesser degree than other people with other personalities. Okay. Like, uh, you know, someone that's a visionary like Alan Shear, I would categorize uh, as great with coming up with, Man, we need to be doing this. And this is what I have pictured and, yeah. and money's not an uh, obstacle. It's just, let's pray about this, but let's move towards this. Um, I think that personality has a harder time not seeing things get done than, you know, in, in my mind, if something's not getting done, it, uh, we're, we probably need a different, we need to reframe that and come at it from a different angle. And maybe we're not communicating enough or clearly. So that's why it's not getting done. Yeah. Um, so try this. So, and I'm in sales to a degree. I'm in financial institution sales. So uh, sales is, is really being able to work with uh, 95% of my day is getting rejected. Like, yeah, I'm trying to sell something to somebody that really doesn't need it. At the end of the day. Sure. So I'm used to getting rejected. So when I come into a situation like this and we can't resolve a concern or an issue or a move forward to the next step, that's that's just like water off a duck's back <laughs> in, a, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Because I'm used to hearing, I don't agree with that. You you don't know what you're talking about. Or I'm used to hearing that in a more abrasive manner. Mm -hmm. So to come in here and hear like, I don't agree with that. I'm like, okay, well, let me say it this way. Right. So, sure. So I guess let's switch from Elder North Hills world and then into more of like the corporate world. Uh, mm -hmm. You talked about being in sales. Can you talk to a little bit about what you specifically do uh, for work? Sure. I've spent my entire career in banking mm -hmm. and most people don't think about bankers being salespeople, but ultimately every business has, uh, has the mandate to grow, uh, grow their revenues and then their profitability for the the owners of that business. So uh, I've been in banking and I've spent a lot of time in financial analysis and all the stuff that people think I do all day, sure. which is push numbers around. <laughs> I don't do that. I'm, I'm a, I, I, I spend uh, most of my week building relationships. So to answer the question, what do I do in sales in banking? 
um, I effectively am a banker, a relationship manager for other banks. So think of certain businesses have retail and wholesale Mm -hmm. segments. I am a wholesale level banker and I take wholesale products, bulk corporate loans, and I break them into pieces and I resell them to, to smaller banks or banks that don't have that particular type of, of uh, I, I'm going to use the term asset class sure. uh, for, or, or loans because a loan is a liability to you, but to your bank, it's an asset. Right. It's good. It's a It makes money flow. for them. Yeah. That's right. So, so that's what I do. I, I break up corporate, large, complex corporate loans into small pieces and I resell them to banks that would otherwise not have access to that market. Okay. So that to me, and this is just me, that is very complicated. It sounds very complicated and it also sounds, I don't want to say abnormal, but like, it's not like when you're, you're a kid in school, you know what I mean? They say, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a firefighter. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be Mm -hmm. a zookeeper or whatever. Nobody ever says, I want to be an asset manager for a bank. I want to go say all sale, you know, like, so what, what led you to be in this position? Like what got you interested? What, what kind of got you where you are today? Um, These are all great questions. Uh, (laughs) I was in high school and I vividly remember, like I was kind of a, I like to read. I wasn't super social. Mm Mm-hmm. I played a lot of sports. I'm sitting, and I wasn't really all that interested academically. Like my grades were so-so. I'm sitting in class one day, and the teacher introduces the idea of of you can own a part of a business, and you do that through purchasing stock in a stock market. I thought it was the most fascinating thing in the world. Like, wait a second. So I can, I've got four hundred dollars in my bank account as a high schooler. I can actually go buy a share of Harley Davidson. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can do that. Absolutely. And guess what? That company pays a dividend to the owners of the stock in that company. So the whole stock market was a fascinating thing to me. And I, and I started actually becoming interested in, well, if I buy a hundred shares then I get, then I get the dividend times a hundred and I get that four times a year. And I can turn a hundred dollars into four hundred dollars in a particular time a time frame, and I thought this is I would like to do this for a living. <laughs> How do you make money on this? Yeah. Like, other than actually doing the investing, right? Well, a stockbroker is someone who sells securities to investors. That's what I want to do. So. I thought I wanted to be a stockbroker, but then when you graduate from college and even with me, I had a finance degree. When you graduate from college, there's a whole world of finance that they don't even like your professors don't even know exist. <laughs> my professor, my finance professor did not know what I do existed. Yeah. Um, because he had one frame of reference and that was where he came from, which is CPA or accounting. And the two worlds do not, really meet until later. Sure. Um, so he didn't know about that. So he, how could he teach somebody that this, what I do now existed? Cause he didn't know about it. So, um, that's how I ended up in it. I, I then I, I realized stock being a stockbroker, uh, is pretty difficult, especially in a changing environment where you can trade stocks yourself online. So who needs that? Sure. Um, certain people do need it, but 
all that to say, I, I tried that. I didn't really like a lot of that. Uh, then went into banking and then uh, was trained as a c- corporate credit analyst and then kind of moved through and saw, uh, and then job openings, God's opening doors in certain places and lots of mergers and acquisitions. And I finally got through to where I'm at today. Yeah. So I guess for those, I'm trying to think of how to phrase the question here because it's a really interesting, and I don't, this is going to sound terrible, but to me, if you told me, hey, I want you to do Abe's job, I'd be like, no, I don't think so. No, thank you. I don't, I don't want that. But for, for you, I'm imagining it's a very fulfilling, like it, it tickles the part of your brain that is, it kind of releases that dopamine hit. You know what I mean? Like for me, doing tech is uh, my passion. You know, sure. I, I, I enjoy doing that. I'm for, Based on what you're telling me, what I'm hearing from you, do you enjoy doing your job? So like what, if you had to translate that joy to somebody who doesn't necessarily understand what joy you could get out of it, how would you define that? You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm still trying to do that with my <laughs> two daughters <laughs> who who have no idea what I do. Sure. And have no desire to do whatever they think I do. <laughs> so I'll say that I've, I've failed in that respect. But um, well, well, listen, at this point in my career, I fly around. The company pays for me to go to nice places and do presentations to bankers in really nice restaurants, in nice hotel venues and I get to build relationships with with people that are actually leading banks in various communities. So, like two weeks ago, I was in Orlando. I, I met with with two banks and over lunch um, and explained our program and tried to explain it in a way that created some compelling value reason to work with me in the mm-hmm. future. I find that whole chase, yeah fun like i know they need me right i need to figure out a way to get them to think that they agree with that yeah that they need me the reality is they'll they don't necessarily need me but but i do add value yeah and i truly believe that otherwise i couldn't do what i'm doing right and i want them to see that value uh equally the way i see it so that whole uh so, so the wins are well worth the 90% rejection rate that I have. Right. So it's almost like a, um, I don't know, I'm imagining like uh, negotiation is like the first thing that comes to my mind as a word. You know, it's like yeah. relational negotiations. That's and, and to me, the way you explain that, that's, that's much more, actually, I'm starting to get, you know, what kind of drives you uh, both like kind of just career wise, uh, mm-hmm. to go after that. And obviously what you bring to the church, I can see how that relational negotiation can transform itself into ministry positions or volunteer positions, or just like, you know, Hey Bob, how are you doing? You know, tell me about your day kind of mm-hmm. things. Do yeah. you, do you feel like that a lot of that translates very quickly over to the, to the ministry area? It can, if I'm here enough, sometimes the job does have me in an aspect where I can't, I think it translates most quickly in an actual elder meeting or mm-hmm. in an actual council uh, situation where I'm one-on-one with a, with a guy that's struggling with A, B, and C. Well, uh, 
I, I struggle with those same things 95% of the time. And I can, I think my ability to, to explain and work through uh, very complex uh, services and products, but still maintain a relationship and build a relationship with a, a human that has a soul and a conscience <laughs> sure. and a, a desire to earn money to provide for his family, like, or her family, like all that kind of works together yeah. and, it, and it's not any different in any other setting. Yeah. Um, in the church, you are, are explaining how, what God did on the cross can change the life of that person if, the, if they embrace that in faith in, um, in, uh, in not necessarily feel like they have to stay where they're at. God, God wants us to always move towards the cross and he's, he's, he's fought the battle and won the battle and won the war, but there's also our responsibility to, to, uh, walk with him. Right. And, and I, I think the conversations are not that different. Um, whether you're talking about adding, you know, communicating complex things in a way in a business setting or communicating what can be challenging yeah. theological things to understand so that someone says, well, at the end of the day, I, I really just want to follow Jesus, but I also follow him according to the way he's laid it out. He's planned it, not according to my own inclinations. Sure. Like, you know, we don't, we don't follow God under our own, um, uh, template. We follow him according to what he's mm -hmm. laid out for us in scripture. So, okay. So I want to move away from work and ministry a little bit. Yeah. When you are off the clock or, uh, when you've got a little, little downtime to yourself, what is it that maybe re-energizes you or that you can go to that, uh, kind of gives you that, um, that pe that build up that pep you know that re-energizing that re the refreshing I think is the word I'm looking for there uh, feeling. Um, I enjoy reading, and I don't just read theological books or business books. I, I enjoy a nice John Grisham book. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah, absolutely. Uh, which some people find boring too because it's related to legal it's a legal thriller yeah, but yeah. but books like that i enjoy um i don't read them often but but i i enjoy reading um was john grissom the one that wrote oh so what's the um the firm did he write the yes. firm yeah okay yeah. that's then, what i'm thinking you of. know there's probably 20 other books he wrote but uh a book like that um i'm sorry i threw you off with the quote. yeah no no that's all right uh so reading, I, I, I exercise not because I enjoy the pain of exercise, but, yeah. but I enjoy it. I mean, there, if, if you, if you're a person that, and I had to start exercising once I turned 40, yep. <laughs> that's this reality of things you do that or you quickly decline yes. in all aspects, but, uh, exercise. And then I was, I think at the time I was trying to get my cholesterol down without medicine and I, I really realized, man, I really enjoy how I feel after I exercise. Mm -hmm. So I first first time I went out, I think I ran a mile and was very sick and very tired and very sore. 
and then eventually built up to five or six miles. And I don't run marathons. Yeah. I have no interest in that. I don't have interest because people often run marathons and they like tell everybody they run a marathon. Sure. Um, I, I was like, I'm going to do this for health reasons. And I started really feeling much better, like cognitively, mm-hmm. physically, spiritually, it, it kind of resets me. So downtime is exercise, running, uh, if it's too cold outside, um, inside, <laughs> and then um, reading. So. Yeah. Do you have like a favorite book or like a go-to author? You talked about John Grisham, but is that uh, a pretty stable author that you pretty, like you go back to the well? No. I mean, I've, I've read a lot of his books. Those are my beach reads. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I like reading historical things. Yeah. I just finished a book uh, on John D. Rockefeller, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and it was 1500 pages and people would, my, my girls would look at me like, why do you, how do you read that? Why sure. do you read that? Cause in, in their mind, it's like reading a textbook from yeah. school. Um, but I enjoy history repeats itself. So I like history and I like to see what mattered back then. Actually, there's a lot of overlap to what's going on today in the world. So I, I read those kind of books. I would say that's my go-to yeah. like historical uh, biographies on certain key people in from our recent past. Do you, um, do you have like a favorite era or a favorite person that you kind of like? It, it tends to be just business, vary. yeah, around, in and around business. Okay. Um. God, I had a question. It completely left me, which is terrible for a host of a podcast to start <laughs> start forgetting questions. Um. So okay, so talk to me a little bit more about um, the exercise aspect of it. You you mostly do this for the the feeling afterwards. So for those people out there, I would consider myself included. I hate working out. I've done it, and it like it's the worst thing. And I I understand the feeling that you're talking about. Like I'll yeah. I'll get back from like weightlifting or even just a little bit of cardio, yeah. and I'm like I feel like Superman. I feel like the yeah. Hulk, you know, I'm gonna, yeah. but then at the same time, like the, you know, an hour later, the next mm. day, it's like somebody hit me with a baseball bat and I hate myself now. <laughs> you know what I mean? So what, what was it about exercising that like either got you over the hump, that hump or like, what is it that keeps you driven when that feeling goes away? Cause you got it. Like the feeling will go away and you have to start all over again yeah. every time. It's, it's, it's more of a habit now. It's not yeah. necessarily just the feeling. It, that may or may not materialize, um, but uh, it often does. But I think, and uh, Peter often references a book uh, called Atomic Habits. Mm-hmm. There's some part of me that saw my averageness in terms of uh, scholastics, sports, whatever. When I was younger, I was kind of always average. And I think I, in a lot of ways, I was average because of lack of effort. Like I was an average soccer player because I liked preferred basketball mm-hmm. part of the year. So I was kind of okay at both and not good enough at either. Sure. Uh, even my degrees like that. So a lot of people that like business go into accounting and you become an expert in gap accounting. Finance, you learn a little bit about everything and not enough about anything. So... In that sense, again, part of my personality is like not all in on something. Right. But I read a, uh, no, I didn't read a book. I started picking up that if you make little changes every day in whatever aspect of life you want to do it in, whether it's 
becoming more familiar with how to read God and study God's word, you got to start small and you, and you became built a pattern around something small. And then you incrementally add something else to that. And then you build that pattern up. And before you know it, you're headed in the, the, the direction that is healthy. And if it's a health thing sure. or, um, and I, I think I'm just finally grasping that. And then I read the book, Atomic Habits. I'm like, wait a second, I'm actually doing this yeah. in a lot of ways. And it never dawned on me that it was, for me, it was just like, how do you solve a big problem? You you make a bunch of tiny fixes and you hope that the problem that's really big and looming actually solved by making tiny changes along the way that solve that, that right. problem. And I think I had done that in a couple other areas of life. I don't know uh, right now off the top of my head what they were, but, but health was one. So it's the habit building that gets me what I want. I think in terms mm -hmm. of health is also important uh, in addition to the, that feeling. So I think the mind over matter thing, people way use way too much, but, yeah. but you can do mind over matter in really tiny ways that build over time. Um, so it, I, I'm really reticent to to commit to things where I don't feel like like I can build towards success. Sure, I'll just say no to it. Yeah, I'm starting to learn that at finally 48. <laughs> sure, that's a, I mean I I like that because the answer is not necessarily for and specifically uh, like working out or exercising or even healthy habits. It's about like life in general. If you want to move towards what you call success, like those incremental changes, those like small steps across the the way, like you're not going to make the leap. You're not going to be the Usain Bolt of running if you just step out into the parking lot and like take off. You got to like right. work towards. I, I really like that that analogy or not that analogy, but like the the mindset is here at the high level and it can be applied at these individual levels. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. So um, my next question is more along the lines of like family. So you mentioned you're married. You've got two, you said two girls, two girls, two yeah. girls. So I, I always love the idea of like, if I walk into like my parents' house, it's different than if I walk into my house or if I walk into my brother's house or if my sister's house. So, um, or, or anybody, anybody's house. So I'm, I'm very curious as to how you would describe, uh, imagine you've invited us over for dinner what is it that we're going to experience when we walk into the Swartz house? You know what I mean? Did I say that right? Yeah. Swartz, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make sure I get the pronunciation right by the end of this podcast. Yeah, no, that's 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 right. Um, the Swartzes have a yapping dog, so you'll immediately be here, uh, you will hear a yapping dog, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a barking dog. Um, you know, my wife or I would... Uh, have you in and we we love food like all three of my girls cook i cook yeah uh i i like to do it i don't like sharing the kitchen so i typically will do it when i have an opportunity to cook for them mm -hmm. a meal and nobody's like coming in stuff so i don't do it a lot but but we all like to cook so you'll have a really good meal and you'll probably be forced by my wife to play some form of board game <laughs> it might be or cards yeah uh it might be that or it might be um but you'll be fed well yeah. and um you'll laugh a lot so, so we we do that um 
and that's pretty simple. We don't have people over a lot, sure. um, but we're trying to get better at it. Yeah. I guess more uh, fly on the wall. Imagine I'm not there as a guest. I'm just like kind of getting a, a photo photo of what life in the house in the sports house sure. is like what is what is kind of like the family dynamics of like a typical day or a typical like uh, evening get together you know things like that so my two teenage girls have uh i have a daughter in college she's a sophomore technically freshman actually um so she's in and out of the house driving to college she's getting a degree in teaching oh, cool. early education wants to teach my other daughter um and she doesn't my oldest daughter doesn't work claire uh she's fully focused on college and then my uh youngest who's 17 uh works a a part-time job at a coffee shop in mm -hmm. traveler's rest so she's working three days a week and she studies a lot they both study a lot. So it's oftentimes a pretty quiet house because everybody's studying. And um, I may or may not be in town. Uh, my wife is a designer uh, when she feels like it. And she, like, right this week, she's taken probably all the holidays off, didn't do much in or around Christmas. But this week, she's taken on two design jobs for a pool builder. And she's picking out the, the, uh, the pool being built, the granite around, not the granite, mm -hmm. but the stonework around it, the um, inside of the pool, the liner, yeah. that the color scheme around in and around that. And then she's also uh, doing floral arrangements and design work for a law firm that's starting up downtown Greenville. Yeah. So, so one week out of the month, she's working a lot. Everyone's scattered, but we eat dinner together probably three times a week. Okay. So I guess I'm always fascinated by like, um, uh, and I've, I've said this on the podcast before, um, my wife will look at me and my siblings and say that we're four different versions of the same DNA because, you know, we get a little bit of both from everywhere. Do you feel like, uh, specifically with your daughters, like, do they take after you or your wife more or is it a combination of both or? My oldest takes probably more after me. Um, my youngest, I think it's a combo of both. Yeah. Actually, as I as I'm sitting here thinking through it, um, my oldest says Claire has more of my personality traits. Um. The uh, unfortunately, they both have my negative traits. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, in my wife, uh, I mean, I say this, I'm not just no, yeah. saying it, but she really doesn't have a whole lot of negative traits. So I'm super blessed by that. Um, and so thankfully they pick up her, her good <laughs> traits and my negative traits. Yeah. Is it, is it weird to kind of like, I, I don't have children of my own, so I, I haven't had this um, direct experience, but like people have described to me um, a strange, a strangeness in watching a, an almost uh mini version of yourself or a younger version of yourself kind of manifest in another person that's walking around kind of doing their own autonomous thing. Mm -hmm. Has that been your experience or is like with... Yeah, in some ways, you know, some of the difficulties you have with a teenager, that's where it really comes to light. Yeah. Like, they respond a certain way to your spouse, like, mom, 
and they say something. Yeah. And you literally will say, I think I remember saying that to my mom <laughs> in that right. way. Yeah. And it's so disrespectful. Yeah. Or on the flip side, um, you know, doing something uh, that you may have done right younger and seeing them do that. Um, I don't necessarily, I like, I, I would attribute that probably more to God's kindness, sure. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, but the negative is very obvious to pick out. Like, yeah. uh, and, and in a lot of ways, they're much better from a behavioral attitude standpoint than I was at that age. Yeah. So I have a lot to be thankful for, for that. Yeah. Um, but that that's when, when teenager and the negative traits, the things you used to do to your own parents, mm-hmm. the, that's where it really becomes evident. It's it's in very the mini me. Yeah, it's very much the idea of like, did your mom ever say, uh, or another parent say, um, "I hope you have one just like you." Is that like <laughs> right, you know? Yeah. What I mean? It feels like that very right. much. Uh, that we we've, we've got to the point. Uh, this is a tangent, but like that reminds me when my we were little. My brother was always the. Uh, the rambunctious one, you know, I'd be sitting there reading a book. He'd pull a book off the shelf just okay. to pull a book off the shelf. And my mom said uh, to me one day, she said, I hope you have a, a child just like you. And I was like, great. I'll set him <laughs> down in front of a bookshelf. They'll read some books. It'll be great. She went, I've changed my mind. I hope you have a child just like your brother. And I, I just like screamed out to them. I was like, no, please. Right. Just yeah. that idea. No, it's a real thing. Yeah. So. Well, cool. All right. Well, we've, we've kind of come to the end. Okay. Um, but uh, obviously those who have listened to the podcast for a while know uh, the question I'm about to ask. Um, I always ask this at, at the very end of my uh, podcast, which is what is your favorite band? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People always have the same reaction to that the question. <laughs> From what era? Cause it's kind of. Give me, give me uh, desert Island rules is what uh, we, I just a what? Re- uh, desert Island rules. Uh, I just recorded a podcast with Dawson Martin. Uh, the idea is that if you're stranded on a desert Island, and you have a handful of albums or a handful of artist discographies, what are those that you're bringing with you? Or that you wish that you had with you? So I have a road trip playlist. Hey, there we go. And I have a playlist for my real life. Yeah. Right. And I probably listen to my road trip playlist when I'm chopping wood in the back <laughs> with a chainsaw or I'm doing something where I, I'm not really focused. Sure. But when I'm, so if I'm on a desert island, I'm going to have, I love Phil Wickham. Okay. I mean, he brings me to, to like the right frame of mind for the way I think about God and the way I communicate the joy of walking with Jesus. I, I love Phil Wickham. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, it's probably not... Uh, someone that is only going to give you their, their spiritual playlist, but also the road trip playlist is going to be probably late eighties, early nineties, which is when I, okay. you know, was a high schooler. Yeah. So think journey. Yep. Um, uh, a, a CD from Chicago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of it probably from, the movie soundtracks that I grew up like yeah. Top Gun. I probably worn out two versions of the Top Gun original <laughs> movie soundtrack. That's <laughs> which fantastic. Is all Kenny yeah. <laughs> so I hate to even admit some of that, but um, just from a 
because the quality could be questionable in sure the music but yeah. no I, I i think i love asking that question i've told i've said this before is that it's very much a it's such an individualistic answer in that your answer is going to be different than dawson's than different than mine than different yeah. than hopes than different than whoever right um and it and the music that you listen to speaks to you in a way that it can't speak to anybody else and i love i love the answers that people give me because it, it just gives me a window into their into their mind into their soul uh, that you don't get just from, uh, you know, sitting in the same room with them. You know right. What I mean, right. So, right. but I love that. Well, Abe, thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for recording the podcast, uh, and suffering through all my questions. No, they're great questions. Thank you for inviting me. And Appreciate that. you're very welcome. Uh, I hope you, everybody out there has had a good chance to, to get to know Abe a little bit better. And if you see him in the hallway, say hi, actually, they wouldn't know what you look like because this is an audio only format. But <laughs> regardless, <laughs> right. just go up to somebody and be like, hey, are you Abe? Okay, cool. I listen to your podcast. You can find him. Yeah, short balding and glasses. So there you go. Like a conventional banker. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again. Thank you for listening. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.